it's such an honor to be here. Um, regarding that arrest, that is a true story. I did hard time. We were in the police station for about an hour. Uh, no, they need to stay here and listen to me. We, hey, how, many, how many Iwana kids do we have here? We got a bunch of Iwana. Okay, the Iwana kids can go. The rest of the kids have to stay. No, all the kids, all the kids go. My wife and I served with the, on the Iwana team, Eric and Sarah did such an amazing job and some, some great people we serve alongside. It's just a pleasure. Um, I am, we lived in the city. We got married in 1980. We came to New York City nine days later and got used to married life, urban life, because neither my lovely wife or me are from the, the urban area, so we lived there for 41 years. So by now, how many people we have from New York? We got a bunch of transplants here, right? right? Yeah, see? So if you're from New York, we're a little direct. Um, and we, we moved here, and you're, you all, I mean, it's, it's culture shock for us. We moved to a little, a little townhouse community in, in Brookfield, and we're walking around, and they're in the car, they're waving at me. And my, my, you know, my wife, she just, she just goes and she waves it back. And my first instinct, I didn't do this, but my first instinct was, what are you looking at? <laughs> so if the direct approach is a little hard today, you know, I, I'm going to try to tone it down a little bit, you know, at this point, kind of are what we are. Let me tell you, let me say how much, in all seriousness, I appreciate this church. When we left our church, we'd never had to find a church before because it was, I was running a church. I'm like, I, wanna, I, want, I didn't want like a mega church, but I, I want to go to a church where the people are friendly, where, where the doctrine is right, and where I feel like I can learn something every week. And, you know, I mean, the Bible's my field, so if I want to learn something every week, you, somebody better bring it. Um, and you have a pastor here who, man, he brings it. Um, and, and I, I, maybe some of you, it's the only church you attended, and, and you maybe don't appreciate what you have here. With the, with, he's just a great expositor of the word. And it's a little daunting to, uh, you know, fill his shoes just for a day. So, Pastor, if, if you're um, listening, you said you were going to be listening. You can pay me later for that, like you said. Um, We have some amazing programs here that I really appreciate. One thing, and I don't know, it's in the DNA of this place. Whenever something goes down, whenever there's a program, it's always done really well. Um, and I just, I just really appreciate that. Grand, again, the WANA program that we're really familiar with, our, our grandsons attend there, and it is just such a joy to have them see it, to see a foundation built in their lives. It's just so we greatly appreciate the outreach. We were on outreach yesterday. It was just, you know, everything that takes place here is just wonderful. The, the worship today, I didn't want my wife to get a big head, so I didn't want to talk about the choir. But um, no, I mean, seriously, the choir, everything is done so well here. And it's just an honor um, to be part of this, this great body. Um, I am going to give a disclaimer today. My father went to be with the Lord in 1998. And... Before he went to be with the Lord, whenever he would talk to family, and especially when he talked to his father, he'd start crying. We'd be at family reunions, he'd speak, he'd start crying, and be like, Dad, it's so uncomfortable. Stop. 
And I find he's been with the Lord. If I talk about it, specifically my daughter or my father, now it happens to me. So if you want to blame anybody, blame him. If you're uncomfortable, you just got to get over it because it's just, it's just what happens. Um, and, I re- and you alluded to this, uh, Sam. I realize that it's Father's Day, and Father's Day is complicated for some. For some, it, it is a reminder that they didn't have a great dad or that their dad was never there. For some, it's a reminder like me that their father is not around anymore. For single moms, Father's Day is a reminder that they bear the burden of raising their children as the mom and the dad in so many ways. Uh, Father's Day can be hard. And it's not, everybody's not celebrating it. So I try to be sensitive to that at the same time Father's Day, I was always big, like in, it, it, in our church, I was, you know, men raising their family, there's, you get that one right, and men, you, you get it right, and you get that one wrong, and you really blew it. In, so this, so what I'm going to say today is, is directly applicable to dads, um, and so I hope there's some application for everybody here, so try not to fall asleep. Um, in, um, the book, in his book, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, author Stephen Covey talks about what he calls the funeral exercise. And basically is, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? How do you want to be remembered? And he, he breaks that down in terms of what do you want your immediate family to say? What do you, how would you like your extended family to talk about you at your funeral? Your friends? your coworkers, your church family, how do you want, what do you want them to say? How do you want to be remembered? The funeral exercise. And, and in the, his book, he says, start with the beginning in mind. In other words, you know how you want to end. And so if you know how you're going to end, what do you want to do in the meantime so that you arrive at where you want to end? Let me give you an example. How many of you would like to be millionaires when you're 65? Me too. And I am 65. And I'm not. Now here's the trick of becoming a millionaire. Don't start when you're 64. Don't even start when you're 60 or 50. I was a math teacher before and while I was getting a church going, and one of the things I learned about was the miracle of compound interest. And did you know that all you have to do if you want to be a millionaire is just deposit maybe a couple hundred dollars a month in an average, um, you know, just mutual fund, and you'll be a millionaire. But the tricky part of it is you've got to do it beginning when you're 25 years old. That's called playing... Got a million, I got an amen on the millionaire remark. Yeah, right after an amen of the pastor being gone. I'm not sure what that means. Um, it's, it's called playing the long game. And, many, and, and what we need to do is sacrifice short-term inconvenience and pleasure so that we will have a, long, a long-term gain. Um, if you want to successfully raise your children, how old are they when you need to start in that process? Intentionally, successfully raising your kids when you start. When they're teenagers, oh, 
I used to joke when I was a pastor, I'd tell my parents, uh, people in our congregation, oh, your child's 13, this is great. They're 13 years old. Why is that great? And you don't have to teach them anymore. They're like, what? I'm like, no, they're teenagers. They know everything now. I read this, uh, I got this on Facebook, and when I saw the quote, I actually sent a message to the person who gave the quote, and I said, can you source this? Because it was striking enough, I don't, I don't like to use something if I can't source it. And he said, I don't know the source. So I got, on the, I got on Google and did all my Googling that an old man does, and I found, I, found the, I found the quote, but I couldn't get the source either. So I'm going to give you something with no source. So just with no source, take it for what it's worth, but, you know, it's on Facebook, so it must be true. Um, but, but here's what it said, and by the way, Billy Graham gave something similar, although his statistics were not as striking, they were, he was still on the same page. This is what the quote I read. When a child comes to Christ, three and a half percent of the time, his entire family will come to Christ. When the wife comes to Christ, 17.5% of the time, the family will come to Christ. When the father comes to Christ, 93% of the time, the family will come to Christ. It is striking. Again, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate, but I've lived a long time, and I've seen a lot of stuff, and I know it's in the ballpark. It just is. So when I, when I speak to dads, it's awesome for me. And, and gra- I'm a grandpa now, so it's, you know, being a grandpa is great. You just give him back. Uh, but you still recognize the awesome privilege you have of pouring into the life of your offspring. Um, so in that, with that in mind, and before I get to the rest of the message, I want to give a, just a kind of a quick gospel presentation, the way we gave it yesterday in the park. Um, because the first step in raising your children right is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, you know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we've grown up, many people have heard Jesus died for us. And that's, that's something we as believers just, we just say, but people that don't know the Lord, well, he died for us. That's, that's odd to a person that's not used to the lingo. And I use my New York City parking ticket illustration. I want you to imagine that... Sam is in the city, and he's driving, and he, he stops in just for a minute, and he gets, he double parks because there's no parking because you're in our church's neighborhood, and there's just not. And he comes out, and there's a ticket on his, anybody get a ticket before? Like a, yeah. Mess up your day, right? Bunch of sinners, by the way, everybody raise their hand. And so Sam gets a ticket, it's like a, I'm going to fight this. I know I did. I'm going to fight. So he goes to court, and I'm the judge. Like, this is great. I didn't know he, I thought he retired. I didn't know he was a judge. This is great. Stands, he comes before, and he says, I say, how do you plead? You say, not guilty. And I look at him like, well, did you double park? Well, yeah. Well, how are you not guilty? It's me. It's Sam. It's, you're Joe. Come on. You know, Paisano, come on. Dude, you're guilty. I thought we were friends. We were friends. I'm friends with a guilty man. It was like, man, 
So it goes back, and I think last time we knew it was $110 fine to double park and get caught. Goes back, and then I go back. And he's getting ready to pay. I'm like, no, I got this. And I pull out my wallet. Oh, I'm not ever going to do this, but this is an illustration. <laughs> and I pull out my wallet, and I, and I grab $110, and I pay. And what I've done by doing that is I paid for him. I was just because the price had to be paid. And I was merciful because I didn't make him pay it. When Jesus died for our sins, he took the penalty that you and I should have taken for our sins. He died for us. We deserve to spend an eternity separated from Christ in the lake of fire. When he died, he took that penalty for us. And all we have to do is ask him to save us and begin the process of being the authority in our life, and he will save us. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're a dad and you don't know the Lord, you can turn off every single thing I'm saying after this because the first thing you need to do is just come to the Lord. I'm going to be around. We've got a prayer team here after the service. Just talk to somebody, and we will show you how you can just find the Lord um, very swiftly, and your life will be changed, and I mean it will be changed in a very good way. Back to the funeral test. What will your children say at your funeral? Will they say, he loved God, he loved me, he trained me to love God, and he trained me to love my wife or my husband and their children. He was always there for me. If you can get it like that, you pass the test. You have passed the funeral test. That, you know, it's not, it's not, I've been to some sad funerals. I've officiated at some, and the best thing anyone had was they were funny or they could dance. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm in no hurry for this test, by the way. I figure when my daughter's 90, we can do this. Um, but I don't, I don't care if anyone cares about how much money I made or how good I was at a certain trick or something like that, but, you know, their walk with God and, and the impact on the life, it's all that matters. In the end, that's m most of what we're here for, and we've got to get that one right. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The NIV translates it this way, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is a twofold command. First, it tells us as dads what not to do. Don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. Again, I don't have time to deal with that part of the verse. I wish I did. But I'll give you just a little, a little taste. I was reading John MacArthur's, uh, one of his uh, comments on this in, t in terms of exasperating your children, provoking them. He said, here's four ways we do it and we shouldn't. Um, how to exasperate. And by the way, don't go home and apply this. Go home and don't apply it, obviously. <laughs> Number one, we exasperate them by being overprotective. We can exasperate them by showing favoritism. We can exasperate them by having unrealistic expectations, and we can exasperate them by neglect. Uh, I wish I had time to go into that. There's others I could probably think of. 
But that's what we're not to do, so let's keep it positive today and let's focus on what we are to do. Rather, we ought to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, whenever we talk about training, discipline is always part of training. It just is. Uh, the book of, I'm just, it's not going to be on the screen. The, he, he that spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him. But I got to tell you, I hate it when I hear a message on parenting, on raising kids, on fatherhood, and they spend all the time on discipline. Because honestly, as a parent, discipline wasn't much of it. it should, honestly, it probably shouldn't be. In, I know there are some rare cases, some of you, I know. Um, it, but it, it, it was always sort of an unstated un, un rule in our household that for every time there was needed to be discipline, there needed to be about 10 times where we found a way to encourage. Um, again, discipline is necessary, but I'm not even going to talk about that today. I'm not ignoring that it exists. I'm just saying I want to talk about other things. And if that's all you've got as a dad, you need to bring some more material to your table, I'm telling you. Because you're, if all you are is a disciplinarian and you think that that's being a good dad, you've missed it. You've just missed it. You've missed almost all of it. Um, if I were to say one word that's going to give you the three points I'm eventually going to get to one day, um, <laughs> it would be intentionality. You don't accidentally become a great dad. You become a great dad intentionally. Any golfers here? My son-in-law's a golfer. He said, please mention my name once when you preach. No, he didn't say that. Um, but even if you don't watch golf, you know Tiger Woods? Who doesn't know Tiger Woods, right? Maybe the greatest golfer ever in his prime. You ever see old clips of him? Do you know his dad put a golf club in his hand when he was two years old? Did you know that? You can find that on YouTube. And I think it was on a Mike Douglas show. He's little, and he's whacking it. I mean, it's just bizarre. Two years old. So when do we start training our kids if we want them to be all that God wants them to be? When do we start? Yeah, when they're born. Maybe you even sing to them in the, in the womb. I'm thinking of that corny joke we just saw with the womb, but I can't get that one out of my mind. Um, so how, how do we do that? Um, three points. These are not the only points, but these are the only points that I got left. Number one, example. That is the most important point. We train our children by how we act, by our example. They are going to catch a lot more than they listen to. Um, what is it? What they're saying says many more things are caught than taught. I read a quote, heard the quote this week. Marshall Field said this: "Nothing is more confusing." than a person who gives good advice but sets a bad example. We train our children by example. We do it all the time, good or bad. We just do. My father was mostly a good example, but not all the time because he was human. Paul recognized the importance of giving a good example. He even instructed young Timothy on how to pastor a church. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he writes, Let no one despise your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's, of all the things he could have told him 
on what to do. And he gave them a whole bunch of stuff in 1 Timothy because that is an old pastor's instruction to a younger pastor, 1 Timothy. He said, set an example. Because what if Timothy gives all the right words but doesn't practice what he's teaching them? Then the church isn't going to follow him. They're going to do what they want. You see, here's the deal. We are all evil creatures. We're always looking for the way to do wrong and get away with it. That's just how we're bent. We just are. From the time a child can talk, they learn to lie. It's weird. No one has to teach your children, okay, here's how you lie. First of all, don't smile. Keep a straight face. Secondly, look in their eyes. Thirdly, give a lot of details, but not too many details. No, they just, they, they, they learn it, right? We are evil creatures by nature. So if we have a bad example in front of us, that's all the reason we need to do the wrong thing. Um, if you want your children to do the right things, then you need to be the right example. Do you want your children to be kind? Do you want your children to attend church regularly when they're grown? Do you want your children to be moral? Do you want your children to, have, to be a loving spouse? Do you want your children to grow up honest? You think they'll grow up honest if they see you stealing stuff from your office and bringing it home or cheating on your taxes? I don't care what you teach them about honestly, honesty verbally. If they see you acting another way, they're going to latch on to the wrong way by your example. So we, we teach best by giving a good example. It's good or bad. My, my father loved the Lord. I'd say in more than 90% of who he was, I strive to be that. Here I go almost crying, but I'm going to get over it. Um, but he had a couple areas that just, his driving. He hated it when he's driving, and there's a guy in the fast lane, the left lane, and they're driving slow, and they're not moving. They're staying in that lane We've all been frustrated by that, right? And most of us just find a way to get around him when we move on. Not my dad. My dad decided to punish them. And so he would finally get around them. Instead of driving off, he would get right in front of them and he would slow down. And they would slow down. And then he would slow down. And then they would slow down. And finally, they would hopefully change lanes so that they could get around him, and as soon as they changed lane, then he would zoom off. That was my dad. Now once, true story, at least once, they still weren't moving. He literally, on the interstate highway, stopped. Now I'm driving, and I see a guy in the left lane doing the same thing. And my wife, she'll say words, something like, don't do it, don't do it. Because I want to do that. It's just, it's almost, it's like it's in my DNA, that specific thing. Why? Because I had a bad example. Again, I, I mean, I honor, if you ever around me and talking about my dad, I mean, I honor him like he's like superhuman. Um, and again, I never saw anyone lead anyone to Christ like my dad. My dad was the greatest evangelist one-on-one I ever knew. But the driving... See, we look, we're, and the kids are watching it all. They're not watching the good stuff. Matter of fact, they forgot the good stuff, maybe. But the driving, they will remember. I promise you will remember. It's not all his driving stunts, but that's just one of them. Um, we'll stop at one. 
the first example. Secondly, presence. Be present. Just be there. Find a way to be there at important times especially. And consistent times almost always. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, sometimes it's not. My daughter said, please talk about me in the sermon too. No, she didn't. Matter of fact, she asked me not to because she doesn't like that. And I said, I'll limit it. Um, she was a great runner in high school. She was first team all county in, in New Jersey. And it was like we would go to her cross-country meet, cross meets. It was like she would win some of these things. And it was, I felt like I won. It was like, great. I'm running. I'm strutting around like I'm getting a ribbon or something like that. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah, I want to I be there supporting my daughter. It was great. Then she went out for basketball. And it was a little different. Let me just say that. It's just different. Not her thing like running, right? I mean, we all have our thing, right? We still went. But it wasn't as glorious. It's different. My father was a perfect, a better example of that. I, I just want to put my daughter in as an example because she asked me to. She didn't. Um, my brother, my older brother was a wrestler. He was one of these guys, he was good at everything. First chair in the band, high school class president, um, you know, High, highest grades you could get just about. He end, ended up getting an appointment to West Point. Following those footsteps, by the way. Good luck. I, I was four years later. Sometimes I'd get his same teachers. At some point, I'd get that look when they realized, okay, they're not the same people. So, so he would go to his wrestling matches. And, you know, my brother was a league champion. And, oh, you know, get him. You've, you've almost got him. Pin him. Don't, don't let up. Don't win him. Pin him. Pin him. Pin him. He was cheering. Then he'd go to my wrestling matches, and his chair was pretty much always the same. Get off your back! Get off your back! <laughs> Those were not easy for him. But you know what I remember? I remember he was always there. The only one time he ever missed a wrestling match was when he was at my older brother's wrestling match at his senior year. He couldn't go to both at the same time. How remarkable is that? It's important to be there for your kids Daily stuff, I'll talk about that in a minute, but for their important events. And just because it's not important to you doesn't make it unimportant to them. Um, again, I want to be present in my child's life, not because they are always doing something that's important to me, but because they're doing something that's important to them. And I might add, if you've got grandchildren nearby, try to add that to your schedule as well. It It matters. One day your child will get older. And you're going to want their ear because they're going to, about to do something really, okay, I want to say stupid. Are we allowed to say stupid here? I don't know. You know what I want to say. Something unwise. And you're going to desperately want to speak to them. Because you know it's important. They are about to make a huge financial mistake. Your daughter's about to marry the worst living creature on the face of the earth. Your son is two, weeks, is two months from graduating high school. He wants to drop out and join the circus. It is something you know this is monumental and you want to speak to them. If you were there at the times that were important to them, if you listened to the things that were important to them, they will probably be, make themselves available to listen to you when it's important to you. 
there will always be something you would rather do than go to a, a fourth grade recorder concert. I promise. But if you want to speak into the lives of your children, especially when they get older, you need to sacrifice the time and the money and the pain to be in their lives when they're younger. You can't put that off. It's like trying to fix a car who's not had its oil changed for 200,000 miles. Good luck on that. It's called maintenance. It requires sometimes sacrifice, and it requires it now. It requires playing the long game. And then five, this is going to sound like my last point, but it's different. I said be present. My third point is be present when you're present. Um, Jesus gave a great example of that, and for time's sake, I'm going to, going to kind of condense. I was going to read a longer scripture passage, but let me just condense it and, and tell you some of the story. Um, there was a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus. Jesus is walking near where Jairus is, and Jesus, as usual, is walking. There are throngs of people around him. I think probably when Jesus was walking, he had 12 disciples. They were probably walking around him almost like bodyguards just to keep the, the throngs away from him. They, they were always pressing him. Remember the time he would even go somewhere to speak and the crowds were pressing so much he had to actually get in a boat and go out on the ocean because it was just too much. So he's going from here. Jairus comes along and says, hey, my daughter's at the point of death. Can you, can you come and heal her? Jesus says, yeah. So he's on his way. The crowds are pressing. I'm sure it's loud. There's chaotic. He's got this Jairus, his daughter, who's sick, who, by the way, he will eventually raise from the dead. Long comes a woman who, what the King James Bible says, has an issue of blood, what we commonly call female problems these days, I guess. And she'd had it for 12 years. And she thinks, if I can just, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be here. If I can just touch it. So, but it's, it's crowded. And how are you going to get to him? Somehow she gets to it. She, she weaves and bobs. However she gets there, she gets, and she just touches his garment. And immediately she perceives that she has been healed. And it's so, now Jesus, throngs of people around him, on his way to raise somebody from the dead. Here's a woman with an issue of blood. I won't even go into all the cultural significance of just him being touched by someone who was, by the way, ceremonially unclean and a female in that time. But he stopped everything and he said, who touched me? He stopped. Let me just read, beginning with verse 30 of Mark chapter 5. I'm not sure they're able to get it on the screen or not because we got some good screen people. But I'm calling some audibles, so. It's a New York thing. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then verse 35 goes on. While he was still speaking, there came the, from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. So back to Jairus' daughter. But when he was with the woman, he was with the woman. He was praying there, it was 100% all his attention there for that might have been a two minute thing 
But he was all there for those two minutes. He was present when he was present. So we all know how to be not present and present at the same time, right? By the way, if any of you are on Facebook while listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I believe that we all need, as men, time where we relax and unwind. But if you're watching a football game on Sunday afternoon that no one else in your family wants to watch, you're not allowed to call it family time just because you're under the same roof. You're present, but you're not present. How about this? Eat together. That's like a, that doesn't even happen anymore, right? Family just eats together. You know, just eat together. How about this one? This, now I'm going to go to meddling. Turn your phones off while you eat together. Turn them off. Well, I've got it on silent. No, because when it vibrates, you've got to look. I, I, sometimes, sometimes mine vibrates when I'm driving and I've got to look, and I'm sure that's my dad's fault. Um, turn your phone off. You know what? You're not the president. It'll be fine. You can turn your phone off for a meal. You'll be fine. Might be some exceptions, physicians, whatever, but hardly ever. Come on, who be kidding? Just turn your phone off. It's not that urgent. We're not that important, but your children are. Instead of checking your phone 20 times, when your child comes home from school or you come from homework, how about saying, how was your day? God will say, you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, how was your day? What was the best thing that happened to you today? What was the worst thing that happened to you today? Interact with them. Be present when you're present. Many of you have retirement accounts. You put in $200, dollars $500 a month because you're foregoing the pleasure of, that, of the, what you could get for that money now, and you're playing the long game. And I'm encouraging you today to play the long game in terms of time invested in your children. Take it from an old man, you will blink. And your children will have children. It's like that. All the old people are like, yeah. All the young people are like, nah. It's gone in a, in a flash. And if you're fortunate and you're playing the long game, your grown, your grown children will be living godly lives because they saw your example. And if you're really fortunate, your grown children will still want to hang out with you when you're old because you love to hang out with them when they're young. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for any father who's here or who's listening somewhere else that has never put their faith in you, that they would understand that you died for them and that they would accept you, your death as their sins payment. And I pray for all of us dads, granddads, Moms, grandmoms, Lord, I pray that we would invest our lives in the things that are so important.
the number one responsibilities you've given us are our, our children. May we not neglect that because we'd rather watch a TV program. God, forgive us for wrong priorities. In Jesus' name, amen.